welcome back. You know, we took a, a little bit of time off there over Christmas to be with family and and uh, we had, of course, a couple of church services, Christmas Day and then Sunday uh, morning as well. And so, um, but we're back. Now we're going to go ahead and, and, and dive back into our eschatology study or a study of how I think, uh, at least from my perspective, how I see things unfolding in the days soon coming. Uh, so far, just by way of quick reminder, we have looked at the rapture of the church. We have talked about Ezekiel 38 and 39 and how we see that as a, uh, a prior and separate event uh, before Daniel's 70th week, even though we do see Gog and Magog mentioned uh, later at the end of the book of Revelation as well. Uh, some therefore put Ezekiel 38 and 39 at that point uh, in the book of Revelation. However, I do think that that is a separate uh, event later after the Millennial Kingdom as opposed to Ezekiel 38 and 39, which I think takes place even prior to Daniel's 70th week, which by the way is where we're going to be headed this morning. Uh, we have just finished a series on the Olivet Discourse inside of our larger eschatology study, um, but uh, we've made our way through the uh, Olivet Discourse, chapter 24 of Matthew. You could say Matthew 24 and 25 really are that uh, discourse in that, but we've just looked at Matthew 24. And, uh, and what we're looking at today is going to really connect with what Jesus spoke about in Matthew 24. If you remember the questions that Jesus was answering in that discourse, uh, the disciples, uh, when they were with Jesus, were all impressed with the temple and the stones and the structure and all this kind of thing. And Jesus said, don't be so impressed because there's a time soon coming when not one stone will be left upon another. And they asked him about this and said, well, what are the, you know, what are the signs of these things and of your coming and of the end of the age? And so uh, between uh, Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21, we see the answer to those three questions. Although in Matthew 24, primarily Jesus just answers uh, the last two questions having to do with his coming and the end of the age. And so um, that being said, Daniel uh, in chapter 9, and you might want to open your Bible there because of course when we talk about Bible stuff, we want to have our Bible ready. So um, open to Daniel chapter 9, and we're going to go ahead and specifically be looking at uh, verses 24 through 27, or the prophecy known as Daniel's 70-week prophecy given to him by the, uh, by the angel Gabriel, uh, describing a, a, uh, a description of some of the events that will unfold leading up to the last, and including the last seven-year period of earth's history prior, under the dominion of man, prior to Christ coming to establish his kingdom. So that being said, um, as we begin to look at Daniel chapter 9, I'll probably do this over a couple of episodes here, but um, Daniel, of course, if you're, if you're not familiar with the uh, book of Daniel, uh, let me just explain that the book of Daniel is one that is filled with prophetic information. It is a, uh, it is a book that is very clearly intended to um, help us understand some of the events that are yet future. As a matter of fact, in the book itself, Daniel is told oftentimes about how these things have to do with the time of the end. And then at the end of the book, he's told to seal it up for the time of the end. You could make the case that the book of Revelation is really sort of the unsealing of those things that Daniel was told to seal up until those uh, until that time. Um, but Daniel is a wonderfully profound book in this regard. And so it's studied by uh, those who study prophecy, and, uh, uh, and, and rightly so. It's, it's rife and rich with uh, so much uh, in this regard. So, um, for example, uh, the discussion of the Antichrist. 
We don't just learn about the Antichrist from places like Revelation 13 or, or 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 or John's writing in his first epistle in that, but rather we also really learn about Antichrist much, much earlier. Uh, and one of the places we learn about him is in the book of Daniel. Uh, he is spoken of as being the leader of a of a revived Roman Empire, uh, empire a, a leader of a global unified uh, government that uh, that ultimately uh, brings the people of the world together against Christ at his second coming. And so when you tie these things together, both in what we see in places like Daniel and also then with Revelation or Second Thessalonians or any of those passages in Matthew 24, we start to get a rounded out picture of what's going on. Well, Daniel figures prominently in this. And so in Daniel chapter 9, we find the prophet here as an old man. Uh, he has served under a number of, of, uh, of, um, of uh, Gentile kings, and he is now an old man, and uh, he is given a prophecy. But this prophecy comes, interestingly, uh, sort of in response to um, a, a time of prayer that Daniel enters into. Uh, <clears throat> matter of fact, at the beginning of, of chapter 9, um, in the first year of King uh, Darius, he is praying uh, in uh, uh, in chapter 2, he makes mention of the prophecy of the 70-year captivity that Israel was going to endure under these uh, Gentile kings, ultimately uh, spoken of by Jeremiah. In Jeremiah chapters 25, uh, 29, uh, and such, we see this uh, also in, um, oh gosh, uh, Second Chronicles as well, talks about um, the reason for the Jewish captivity uh, under Babylon and that. Uh, the reason being that they didn't give the land its Sabbath rests, not just the people, but the land itself. It's an interesting study. But um, so we know a lot about this captivity. And among the things we know about it is that it was going to be 70 years. And at the end of that 70 years, God was going to deliver his people out and they would be able to go back to their their land and rebuild um, the city of Jerusalem, the temple and such. And this, this happens ultimately under Ezra and Nehemiah. And so um, if you read these things, again, if you want to read Jeremiah 25, uh, the first 14 verses, Jeremiah 29, uh, again, the first 14 verses, uh, you want to read uh, Ezra, uh, really the book of Ezra, but I think there's reference in Ezra chapter 2, and then um, uh, Nehemiah, of course, as well. So if you want to read these books, it gives you kind of a sense of what's going on uh, as Israel is, is now taken uh, back, and now is allowed to go back ultimately to rebuild. So Daniel is praying because the time for these things to happen has come. Uh, Israel's been in captivity for 70 years. And so uh, he is praying now because in the book of Jeremiah, he read when that captivity was going to start, when it was going to end, all that kind of thing. And the reason I say all that is actually a very simple one. Daniel took Jeremiah seriously. Uh, Jer Daniel recognized that when Jeremiah said it would be 70 years, Daniel looked at his calendar and realized 70 years was just about up. So he sets himself to pray. Um, there's something pretty important in that, the idea that those who are in Scripture tend to take what those others in Scripture say seriously. Um, Daniel literally believed that the 70 years was up, and so he began to pray. And of course, in 70 years, it would be up, and they would go back. But Daniel didn't just sort of allegorize what Jeremiah was saying. He took it at face value. Now, we've made a point of that along the way when we talk about prophecy, because when it comes to 
the books of prophecy, apocalyptic writing, things like Revelation or Daniel, for example, uh, there is a tendency to sort of categorize these books in a different way when it comes to a hermeneutic or how to explain or understand these books. We, natu- we, we have a tendency to think that we don't want to take these books for what they say. We want to see them as being symbolic primarily. I think that's a mistake. Uh, I think that uh, if we really were going to be consistent in that, uh, in terms of prophecy, we probably would have made the same mistake that the Pharisees and such made when Jesus came the first time. If you remember in Luke chapter 19, Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem because they did not recognize this very day that he was arriving to present himself as Messiah. And he said that the destruction of Jerusalem was going to come as a direct consequence of not recognizing his coming. There are some profound implications to that, aren't there? And so, um, but the expectation was, is that literally when Messiah came to present himself on that specific day, which interestingly, not ironically, was also prophesied in Daniel in the passage that we're going to be talking about here in a moment. Um, they, sh- they, like Daniel, could count his calendar for the 70-year uh, captivity being coming to an end. They too were expected to mark their calendars for the arrival of Messiah, but they didn't. Unlike Daniel, uh, they didn't stop and recognize the time uh, that, that these things would be fulfilled, and they were held responsible for it. So when it comes to prophetic elements in regard to Christ's second coming, we should not start with allegory and symbolism, but rather we should read the passages at face value. And unless there is some very clear reason to think that they don't mean what they mean, we should take them for what they mean. So example, when we see 144,000 from the 12 tribes of Israel, we should not think that that just speaks of the church or of some amorphous body of people. We should think that we're talking about 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes that are listed there in the book of Revelation. We should also understand why certain tribes aren't mentioned in those uh, things, because if we, if we take it seriously, that's the kind of, those are the kinds of questions we ask and the kinds of things we look at. If we take it as symbolic in that kind of thing, then we're not prone to ask those questions. We're not necessarily going to dig out of the text what is intended to be taken. So I take a very different approach than that of allegorizing or seeing it as metaphor or symbolism. I think we first look at it <clears throat> and take it at face value. And then if needed, if necessary, if there's clear reason to, <clears throat> then we'll go ahead and, and see it maybe as being symbolic. Thousand-year millennial reign of Christ. We should see that as being a 1,000-year period of time during which time Satan is bound while Jesus rules and reigns from Jerusalem. Why not see it as a 1,000 years? Um, <clears throat> remember, this is a time of restoration of all things, you know. So longevity of life during that time should not be surprising and that kind of thing. You know, Isaiah makes reference to the fact that during that period, someone who dies at 100 years old is going to seem like they died as an infant. Well, how are we to take those passages if we're trying to symbolize everything? We could read those as meaning anything. But if we just take them at face value, then I think we're going to be ready when that time comes. So that being said, when we come to the book of Daniel, um, you know, I point this out about Daniel's taking seriously what others in Scripture are speaking about. Um, and even literally in this case, I think we would do well to approach the same way. So that being said, Daniel begins to pray, and I would encourage you to read Daniel chapter 9 and read the entire prayer. Uh, There's a number of things to be gleaned from it. Number one, just the fervency of it. Like he knows that God is about to fulfill his purposes in releasing Israel to go back to her land, and he is passionate about it, and he is praying with fervency for this to come to be. 
he also includes himself among those who were rebellious against God uh, and ultimately were sent into captivity, even though we don't see anything in the book of Daniel uh, that would indicate that he was rebellious at all. He was actually extremely faithful to the Lord, but he identified with his people, and there's something to be said about that. He didn't separate himself and say, God, thank you that you're finally releasing these rebellious, stiff-necked people. No, he says, we, we have sinned against you. We have done these things. He includes himself there, even though he is a man of, from what we can tell from scripture, extremely high character. So that being said, he's praying (coughs) for these things to be. And then I'll go ahead and bring us to verse 20 of Daniel chapter nine, where he says, now while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for uh, for the holy mountain of my God. Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And he informed me and, sa- and talked to me and said, O Daniel, I now have come uh, forth to give you skill to understand. Let me just stop there for a minute, just talk about a couple things. First of all, Gabriel comes. Now, Gabriel's appeared to him earlier in his prophecy as well. Gabriel will also appear later to Mary when he announces the birth of Messiah and this kind of thing. Gabriel seems to be an angel whose primary role is that of being a messenger, bringing news from God to certain people about uh, specified events and that kind of thing. Um, Also, uh, Daniel was given this message with the intention that he would understand it. Uh, We should understand that what comes to the idea of prophecy, the goal is not to not understand, but to understand. Uh, God is telling us these things in order that we might gain an understanding of what's going on. Matter of fact, the revelation itself, the apocalypse, speaks of an unveiling. Uh, In Revelation, there's a blessing for those who read and who hear and who live out the things in this book. Uh, There is the intention that, that we seek to understand these things. And the idea here with this prophecy being given to Daniel is that he would be given skill to understand. Interestingly, in Daniel chapter 7, there's a point where uh, he is given this vision of these beasts that are uh, representative of kingdoms, one upon another, that will one will succeed another and another until finally the Antichrist comes on the scene. Uh, it's a similar vision, and uh, part of that vision is similar to what Nebuchadnezzar had uh, been given by the Lord uh, some chapters earlier. Well, it, it, in Daniel chapter 7, he sees these things, and he wants to understand, so he asks, what does this mean? And so the angel begins to explain to him what's going on. Again, the intention is that we understand. Now, in our day, we come to passages we don't understand. Uh, We ask God to give us understanding. Now, that doesn't mean that we just expect him to give us visions that clear everything up, and suddenly now, if you get a vision, that means everybody needs to understand it that way. No, what it means is we ask God, through the Holy Spirit, to give us understanding to the passages as we read them, and to help us understand, to help us to put together, connect the dots that Scripture presents to us so we can get a good sense of what's going on. As always, we do this with humility, so that we don't, um, you know, uh, um, you know, make we're willing to sort of, you know, understand that if we if we mistook something, that we are willing to correct it and that kind of thing. You know, uh, this is why I think it's dangerous when people say God told me this is what this means. Um, well, how do we verify that except by Scripture? And if Scripture says something different, then God didn't tell you that. Um, so anyway, that being said, not to get on that whole trip, but. Just recognize that in verse 22, the intention is that Daniel would have skill to understand these things. And the idea, much like in Matthew 24, where the writers tell us uh, in Matthew 24, 15, Mark also, the, the idea that uh, let, let him who reads understand. 
Okay, that's the goal. That's the intent. So verse 23, at the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand, again, understand the vision. You are greatly beloved. There's a similar parallel there between John, the beloved disciple, also being given um, um, insight into last things as well. Um, so here it is. Here's the prophecy. The next few verses is what we're going to spend our time in today and then uh, next time. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and your holy city to finish. And, and Okay, so <laughs> 70 weeks are determined. Now, weeks there, uh, the term speaks of seven uh, of 77s. Uh, I meant to grab the book and have it out here. I could uh, I grab it real quick. Hold on one second. It's right here. Um, there are resources out there that can help us understand this passage well. One of them, and really one of the classic ones, is this book called The Coming Prince by Sir Robert Anderson. I've got an old marked up copy here, but it's um, uh, Sir Robert Anderson uh, really calculated a number of things. Uh, he calculated, uh, he was one of the guys who put forth the idea of uh, the reminder that the calendar in ancient times was a 360 day calendar. Um, he wrote a lot about helping us to understand the idea of the 70 weeks. The weeks are actually weeks of years, that kind of thing. Um, scholars are indebted to people like this for, um, for helping us understand these things. So anyway, I, just, I point that out because it's a good resource to have on your shelf and to read. So anyway, 77s or 77-year periods of time is what's in view here in these 70 weeks. They're weeks of years. It's similar to how we would say a decade. You know, decade means 10 years. Well, this particular word speaks of the idea of 77-year periods of time. Uh, and it's also determined for your people in your holy city. And then there are six things that are determined to take place during these 77s. Now, by the way, 77-year periods of time equals 490 years. Okay, 70 times 7. Um, so that being said, that's also a significant thing. Uh, 70 is a significant thing in... in uh, um, and the idea of what Jesus himself even saying, you know, when Peter says, how many times should I forgive my, uh, those who offend me? Seven times? And Jesus says, no, 70 times, seven times. The idea of a 490-year period of time is just, there, there's a link to these ideas. It's, these are not accidental or coincidental kinds of things that are just flippantly thrown out there. Anyway, so that being said, there are six things, six things that are going to uh, ultimately take place during these 77s. And here they are. First, to finish the transgression. Secondly, to make an end of sins. Then to make reconciliation for iniquity. To bring in everlasting righteousness. To seal up the vision and prophecy. And to anoint the most holy or the most holy place. Okay, the idea of speaking of the temple and the inner sanctum inside the temple. The, the sanctuary, the holy of holies and that kind of thing. So, the idea... Uh, uh, um, that these things are supposed to take place during this 70-year period of time uh, means that this period of time is going to be filled with meaningful events taking place. And there is a starting point to these 70 weeks, and there is an ending point to these 70 weeks, okay, or these 77-year periods of time. So he goes on to say, Know therefore, in verse 25, and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks, or a total of 69. Scholars are a little 
um, they, there's debate about why it's divided the way it is to describe the first 69 weeks, but it is described as being uh, first a period of seven weeks or 49 years, and then 62 weeks. In total, 483 years between the two segmented sets of weeks. So in other words, the first 69 of these weeks are going to begin with the command to rebuild and restore Jerusalem, and the end of that 69th week will come with the arrival of Messiah. Now this is significant, and this is also partly why we're going to take a couple of episodes to talk about this, because you don't want to really just skip some of these things. Um, um, you know, in, in effort to just get to one other thing. We really want to kind of dive into the passage a little bit. So the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem took place on uh, on April 6th, uh, I'm sorry, not April 6th, of uh, March 14th of 445 BC. This is when the command of Artaxerxes went forth, uh, Ezra, Nehemiah, the rebuilding of the, the city and the temple and all this kind of thing begins at that point. 69 sets of seven years are going to take place between that point and the arrival of Messiah, or literally 173,880 days. This is another bit of the work that Robert Anderson put together. So what that means, and by the way, to verify that his work was correct, Jesus came into Jerusalem exactly 173,880 days after that command to rebuild Jerusalem. In other words, from March 14th, 445, until April 6th, 32 AD, is that period of time. Now you take into account leap years, and again, a 360-day year cycle in that, and the ancient calendars, and that kind of thing. You come to realize that when Jesus said to those in Jerusalem as he wept over the city that you did not recognize this year day, he was not kidding. There was specifically that day, his arrival. Matter of fact, all the times they tried to make him king. Uh, think of like John 6. They, they tried to make him king, but his time was not yet, so he kind of sl- snuck out from their midst. All of those times they wanted to make him king. They saw him as, this. he's Messiah, he must be here, it's time. Israel's going to be restored and all this kind of thing. But it wasn't time until he tells his disciples to go and get the donkey in fulfillment of Zechariah 9.9. He rides into Jerusalem to present himself as the Messiah on that day. I mean, when you look at the scripture, you don't, we don't have to worry about, I, 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 let me put it another way, we should not start by symbolizing stuff. This was so massively specific that literally all Israelis, all Hebrews, all Jews should have been standing there at the gate, looking over the hillside, waiting for the Messiah to come because this was the day. As a matter of fact, just to make the point, Jesus again rode in on, on a donkey, just like Zechariah said, "Your, you know, your your Messiah is coming this way." And so, all the times he rejected being set up as Messiah, today he organizes it and comes in and presents himself exactly as Scripture fulfilled, or, or prophesied, I should say. And it was to the exact day that Daniel spoke about right here in Daniel chapter nine. So this this is why we get excited about scripture. And this is why we don't allegorize things about Jesus' second coming because look how specific it was in regard to his first coming. So we should not assume that things will be different when it comes to his second. So that being said, um, those, those are the events that, this is the period of time we're talking about, 69 weeks from that point to this point, and it happened, okay? Now, 
There is discussion among scholars as to the fact that clearly not all of the things in verse 24 have happened um, in the first 69 weeks. They will come to fulfillment in the 70 weeks. In other words, there is still one seven-year period of time that yet remains that will come in the days ahead. And so the discussion is, well, how many, if any, of these things have been fulfilled already? Um, You could argue that none of them have. You might sort of extrapolate the possibility that making reconciliation for iniquity happened at the cross. Clearly it did. So that one thing uh, may have happened. The others are questionable. Certainly by the time the millennium starts, when Christ returns, that now becomes the point at which all these things clearly are fulfilled. So um, now that being said, we're going to stop there for today um, and look at verses 26 and 27 next time. Or we might just do verse 26 next time and then get to verse 27. But we are again looking at Daniel's 70 weeks and we have now looked at the description of the period of time that would constitute the first 69 of those. So I will leave it to you to go ahead and read through the passage again and then next time we'll go ahead and pick it up in verse 26. So that being said, thanks for joining. Praise the Lord. Glad we can do this together. It's good to be back and looking at these things prophetically. Let me apologize one more time for the quality of the video here. I've actually got some cameras and stuff here. I'm trying to figure out how to use them to do the recordings and that kind of stuff. So hopefully in the next episode or two, we'll be able to get that all straightened out. We'll get a little bit better quality uh, video on this. Hopefully the audio is not too bad, but uh, we'll get things together um, shortly. So thanks for your patience on that. And thanks for, for joining and hanging in there. But Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the specificity of it. We thank you for the promises that you've made and the fact that you fulfill your promises. We thank you that we can stand with absolute assurance upon your word and know that the things you spoke about Jesus' first coming give us the assurance that when you speak about those elements of around his second coming, we can look to them and, and, and expect them to take place as you've said. Uh, and help us uh, to learn the lessons of those in the past who um, did not take seriously what was said about Jesus' first coming. Help us to not make the mistake here in regard to his second coming. And so, Father, we thank you, we praise you, and bless you for calling us to be in such a time as this. Pray that, Lord, you would use us in our day, that you would give us the confidence once again to stand upon your word, uh, not only for our own faith, but in in regard to sharing our faith and and knowing that the things that are in your word are true. Jesus himself has said uh, often that uh, heaven and earth will pass away, or it's recorded often uh, in in, in this very discourse in, in Matthew 24 and such, where he said, heaven and earth will pass away but my words will never pass away. So help us again to stand on this truth, this confidence in knowing that you will bring your purposes to pass, and you've even told us in advance what those things are. So help us to grow as students in your word. Uh, and, and Father, we just pray that by your Holy Spirit, and as we open your word, we would come to understand these things more fully. Thank you, Lord. We bless you and praise you and ask all this in Jesus' name.